What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of The Bullpen. This guest today is nothing short of clearly a celebrity, but, but how do you want to call him that? Because this is actually someone who I've become very, very close to, a friendship that I could not be more grateful for, one of the most kind-hearted and genuine dudes I have ever truly met. This dude I've seen over and over again go above and beyond to help people, but just to kind of give you an idea, this is one of the most successful entrepreneurs you will ever meet in this country. He is literally a TV star on the Discovery Channel, Diesel Brothers, Keaton Hoskins, you know, or known as the Muscle. Thanks for coming on, brother. Absolutely, I'm excited to have you on. That was that was quite an introduction. (laughs) Well, dude, that here's the thing, man. Most people know you as the Muscle, right? Most people know you for your TV show. Most people know you for a lot of crazy shit, right? But you know, in what I'm so grateful for, what I've gotten to know you for is. I've gotten to know you in the space of how much you've given back yeah. and how much you've gone above and beyond for people. Dude, I'm going to be honest. I, I hadn't seen your TV show before I met you. That's all right, dude. <laughs> I honestly, I uh, this is the truth. When I meet people, yeah. I prefer that they've never seen the show right. and don't even know who I am because then I can get a good judge of character yeah. on how they treat me. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, going from like just being a normal Joe Blow to being on TV and then being semi-famous, how people treat you. Yeah. And dude, it's hard to swallow. It's mm-hmm. hard to see people treat you differently because you're on TV. Right. You know? Yeah. And so now when I interact with people, I really prefer that they don't have a clue who I am because yeah. I want them to treat me like I'm a regular person. Yeah. And if they're a shitbag and they treat me like a shitbag mm-hmm. and then they find out later that I'm famous, mm-hmm. it always changes. Yeah. And I already know who that person is. Right. So that's why I, when people are like, I haven't watched your show. I'm like, good. I, I don't want to be that person. It's like, <laughs> Oh dude, I love your show. You yeah. know? Anyways. Well, no, it's, it's true. Cause like, dude, you and me have had this conversation and we're going to dive deep into so much shit on this episode. Like I'm so excited to just talk to you about all this stuff. Cause we've had some pretty fucking deep conversations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But dude, like uh, I just come back like, that's like when I asked you how I want to introduce you, like I want people to understand like how I've met you is literally by, by seeing you in, in regards of like how much you've given to other people and how, how active you are in finding ways to help people and dude, and me myself. Right. And I've told you this before. I'm like the way you've like, you know, become such a close friend to me. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Because yes, he's a celebrity, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm like this is one of the most down to earth, genuine dudes I have ever fucking met in my life. And me and my wife are super grateful to know you guys. Yeah. And that's why it's so, so incredible. I want everyone to know that about you if they don't already know that. But dude, at the end of the day, man, like, okay, you com- accomplished a lot of shit, yeah. right? But bro, where did this fucking come from, right? What's your story? Because yeah. people don't know how big of an entrepreneur you've been. Yeah. They don't, they obviously know about the TV show, but like that, like I say this over and over, where does that fucking come from? You yeah. know, there's a story behind that. There's a there's stuff that happened in your life that led you to this point. So, dude, like, what's your story, man? Um, you know what? So first, I appreciate it, dude. That's uh, I like the uh, the kind words. We did meet. We met at the uh, the thousand dollar tip yeah. club, right? Uh, yeah, we. And then we just kind of hit it off. Yeah. Um, we're talking about trucks. <laughs> yeah, which is like my thing, like my favorite thing to do. I have a few companies, and I do a lot of things. And one of the things I do is I have a TV show, but. I genuinely enjoy building shit. And so I like to talk with other people that want me to build shit or want to build shit with me. (laughs) So that's actually how we met. That's right. Um, But dude, my story is, is kind of uh, it's, it's fairly simple in, 
in how I got to where I'm at. Um, I, it's not ordinary by any means, but when I was, when I was 20, no, let's see, when I was 19, mm -hmm. I went on an LDS mission. I was right. a missionary. Mm -hmm. I was the oldest of five kids. And my father at the time, um, he was really, really sick. And we grew up with like always knowing my dad wasn't going to live for a long time. Oh, you always knew that. We always knew. Like, do you mind if I ask why? Like, why was um, he so sick? So he was, he had had cancer a few times. Oh, um, he okay. was a diabetic. And oh. then he also got to a point in his life where every time he got sick, he got really, really sick. Like mm -hmm. even the common cold, he got really, really his sick. His immune system would his just His immune work. system was oh, shot. Geez, so he, yeah. he actually had two kidney transplants. Oh. And anytime you have a transplant, yeah. your body fights that, right? right? And so you have to take immunosuppressants. And essentially, um, he got to a point where everything that hit him just hit him like a ton of bricks. So when I went on my mission, um, I always thought in the back of my mind, like I may not see my dad again, you know? And while we were growing up, my dad was hardcore like he was really? just a tough dude he was in your face he was straightforward but he was corporate america oh he was corporate okay hardcore corporate. Okay, that was gonna ask you yeah. did you grow up country because your country's hell yeah yeah, yeah. So, so so he was corporate america interesting um he had his his mba he had you know all kinds of degrees he was huge in school so was my mom my mom went to nursing school and all growing up, my dad used to preach to us, like, you gotta go to school, you gotta get your degree, you gotta work for a good company, you gotta save, you gotta retire. You the know typical that the message. typical shit. Yeah, right. Um, and and then and then and then his explanation behind it to our us boys, there was four of us, um, was it's it's security right uh, like security 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 yeah so so we grew up we and and as we got older obviously and he got more sick we realized even as the ceo of his company um he didn't really have security and we didn't know what that was we didn't understand those things mm -hmm. but i went on my mission i came home and luckily he was still alive and to be honest with you to this day i firmly believe that he chose to stay alive long enough for to me when you. i got home yeah mm -hmm. and then obviously three months after i got home he passed away Jeez. and and i watched as his company who he was the ceo of mm -hmm just let him go like he was nothing you know like hey we're done with you there's no reason for us to have you mm. and all of my brothers watched it and we watched this man that preached to us security mm -hmm. and and could do 110 percent for a company and get mm. your degree and all of this shit just go by the wayside like every single one of us were like wait a second this doesn't make any sense mm. all he did was preach security mm -hmm. 401k nine to five bust your ass yes and and it's funny, man, I, I got home and I legitimately planned on being a doctor. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. So, I could never picture you. Yeah. So I got home um, from my mission and I, I was like, I was crazy smart. So on my mission, I memorized the Bible, the whole Bible word for word. And then I started to memorize the Book of Mormon. And I was like, there's no reason for this. I only need to know the Bible, right. you know? Um, and so because of that, I learned how to study and how to like learn as quickly as, as possible. Mm -hmm. So when I got back from my mission, I was like, I want to be a doctor. I want to go in and change people like my dad's yeah. situation. Mm -hmm. And that in the back of my mind, that was my whole thing. So I started to go to school. I started to work. I, I was working like three jobs to pay for school. I was going to work, school um work and then back to school like there was nights i didn't sleep and i was just going like crazy and how old so, were you? so i was 21 okay 
Now, didn't you? No, if you want my best, didn't you play football at the next I level? I did. I so played, this was all while you were playing. Some this is before. So I played okay. before my mission. Yeah. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Went down to Snow College. Okay. Um, and and played. Um, got in a ton of trouble down there, and then actually came back and <laughs> went on my mission. And then when I got back, I went to the U of U. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. Okay. And and that is where I was planning on doing medical school because okay, that's one of the best medical schools in the country. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I started in pre med, and then mm -hmm. immediately started working for the deans of admission for the medical program at the U of U. Oh wow. Um, I worked in this like late night neonatology research lab, like doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Sure. Um, really cool research. And anyways, and. I, as I watched my dad die, I thought, man, this just doesn't make any sense. And I immediately started working as a personal trainer too. That was one of my jobs. And I started selling personal training in that gym. And I started to see a lot of money come mm -hmm. in, you know, and, and for a 21 year old that came back from a mission that had a hundred dollars in his pocket, legitimately, dude, right. I had 107, I still remember $107 in my bank account when I got home. And when my dad died, nobody got any money because mm. he was sick. So there wasn't really any health insurance or insurance, you know? Mm. So we, we, we watched my dad. I, I watched the nine to five. I did the whole thing. I went to, to pre-med. I did that. And I started to like talk to doctors as much as I could. And every doctor said the same thing. If you're doing this for the money, don't do it. It sucks. Like it's not worth it. And mm. I started to get like, this doesn't make any sense. So I was working at a gym. I was doing personal training and I started to see a good amount of money come in, dude. I was seeing five, six, seven grand a month come in. And dude, to a 21 year old That's back awesome. in 2000, like That's that was, awesome. that was good money. Big time. And, and then immediately I started to help the gym grow itself. You immediately got involved. I in, got yeah. involved in management and I, I got into like growing and actually starting the, the gyms. Mm -hmm. Um, the gyms at the time were called crossroads fitnesses and they're, they were all over Utah. Those are still here. No, no, no. They went out of business. Are they not? Yeah. I think I've seen those before though, right? Now they may have sold the franchise itself mm. to like people, but essentially they got closed. Cause down. I was about to say, I, I, I think I, th I thought I saw crossroads yeah. at one point. We, we, uh, I think we started five gyms. Was any of them down in like Utah Valley area? Uh -huh. Like Linden? Yeah, I think area? we had one in Linden. Okay, that's the one. Okay, I, I, I've think. I think I, um, I saw that one. So anyway, so okay. I did that. And then in, in the midst of that, I mm -hmm. started meeting with the owner and saying, if I'm helping you, I want a piece of the pie. Of course. Immediately, dude, yeah. that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, I don't give a shit about going to, dent to, to be a doctor. I want to make money. That was it, dude. Yeah. That's all I wanted to do. And watching my dad, I was like, I'm not going to work for somebody. I want to own a company. Mm -hmm. So immediately out of the gates, I went from being a personal trainer to being the personal trainer and manager to being the, the gym manager to then opening gyms all over the Wasatch front. Mm -hmm. And in that, I just said, I want to get paid and I want to take ownership. And within really quickly, um, the, the gym owner ended up firing me before I was vested naturally. In, yeah. Before I was vested any interest in what I had built with right. him. So I was 20, I was 22. I had just gotten married. I had just bought my first house and my wife at the time was pregnant. She didn't have a job. Mm. Um, and I remember coming home like with my back against the wall mm. and thinking, dude, how the hell am I going to provide for my family? Mm. And how do I make sure this shit never happens again? And I sat down and I was like, all right, man, let's do what I know. And I knew personal training, yeah. right? So I literally, I, I jump into this like entrepreneurial mindset mm -hmm. of 
You got to build it. You want it. You got to build it. Period. End of story. Like at the end of the day, if you fucking want it, you have to build it. Yes. Nobody is going to come and save you. And I realized that really Mm -hmm. quickly, dude, I just left my, I just got fired from this, this empire of building gyms Mm -hmm. and I had nothing, dude. Blood, sweat and tears. Everything. And, and my, my brand new baby on the way, my wife with no job, our brand new house. And I thought, you know what, dude? I'm not only going to build it, I'm going to build it bigger than the gym and I'm going to take people from the gym and I'm going to take from the gym what I built. So I started recruiting personal trainers from the gyms and I said to them, Hey, you come work for me. I'll pay you better. And you don't have to go to the gym anymore. I'm going to start a company where you go to people's houses and you train them in their houses. You're going to have kettlebells, BOSU balls, Mm -hmm. you know, bands, all that other shit. And every one of the trainers that joined me was like, dude, I've watched Keaton grow and and build the program in the gym. I think he can do it outside of the gym, Mm. dude. And they came and they just kind of had faith in me. Mm. So I literally immediately started growing and dude, I was going to people's houses like, Hey, you, you have a personal trainer with the gym, cancel yeah. your membership, cancel your gym membership and your training. We're going to train you in your house. You want to see us three times a week or six times a week. Yeah. And I just start selling people. And then all of a sudden I had three, four, five, six trainers working for me full time right. from five in the morning till nine o'clock at night. Mm. And it was simple, dude. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah. I was literally having the trainers take payments from them, give me the payments, book it all, and then pay them out. Dude, it was nuts. <laughs> yeah. But immediately I started to see like 30, 40, dollars mm. $50,000. And I was paying trainers mm-hmm. 30, 40% of that. And I was taking the rest. Right. And I was like, holy shit, dude, this Mm -hmm. is like real. And then I was like, I can do whatever I want in this model. I Mm -hmm. can do whatever I want. So we started to do that and we became really successful. I I mean, dude, I think there was a time that I had three to 500 clients that we were going to their house, training them in their house. They were paying anywhere from four, 400 bucks to a thousand bucks a month. That's insane. Dude, it was insane. And to this day, I still don't know if I've seen that much cash. Yeah. And I had a safe in my room and I was stacking cash. and, And then all of a sudden this gym down the street from the one that I got fired from um, came up for sale Mm. and I was like, I'm buying it and I'm bringing my in-home training to the gym. And (laughs) I came in, it was this old gentleman um, and he said, I'll I'll sell you 50%. I still, I'm going to own the gym and I want to own the building, but I'll sell you 50% of the gym and 50% of the building. Mm. So being stupid and young, Mm. 24, you know, making good money, I brought it in. The gym Mm. was upside down, like 70 grand a month. Well, guess what? When I bring all my stuff in, that flips the gym, right? Yeah. So I came in, I busted ass for like two years. I never really made any money. And then my partner at the time, the same guy, started accusing me of not doing what he wanted. And I was like, wait a you mean second. The, you mean the gym that was upside down yeah, that he had to sell? Yeah. Not doing what he wanted where you're pulling. Okay, all right. That makes sense. So, yeah, it was crazy. So, I literally, I got back into this place where I was like, why am I, why do I feel like I'm working for somebody? Yeah, again? right. I wasn't. He was a partner. But, dude, I was a 24-year-old. He was a multimillionaire. The guy yeah. had $50, 60000000 million to his name. Jeez. I had nothing. For a and, gym owner? No, no, no. He he had done real estate oh, and okay, done okay. other things. That makes 
says. Okay. The gym was just one piece got of it. something got he got was it. doing. Mm-hmm. And so, and he saw me as this dumb, gullible kid. Mm-hmm. He had me sign some stuff that was totally fake. And to this day, dude, I'll, I'll still tell you, if I ever saw that guy to his face, I would tell him he was a piece of shit. Yeah. Because instead of taking me under his wing as he mm-hmm. should have, he found like he needed to compete with me. And then he got to a point of like holding me back. Mm-hmm. And I got in that point, I was like, dude, I can't really be with anybody. Mm-hmm until I know what the hell I'm doing. Right. And I didn't, dude, I was 24 years old. Right. So I ended up selling out of that gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the interim of doing that, I went and I got my teeth worked on at the at a dental office. Mm-hmm. Hadn't had I hadn't been to the dentist for eight eight years. That's I've really been paying insurance. Who you needs know, dentists? Stupid. <laughs> I go in there, no cavities, right. no nothing. And they go, hey, it's $400. And I'm like, what? I've been paying dental insurance for eight years. Yeah. And I have no problems, and, and I come in in one time in eight years, and I got to pay 400 bucks, and I was like, wait a second. I think I can take personal training, this idea of monthly payments, and take it to everything in the world. So I went into the I went into the dentist, and I was like, hey, man, how would you like to be a dentist for me? You clock in and clock out. I'll do the rest. And instead of messing okay, with- Okay, how old are you at this point? I was 25. 24. Okay, so no, 20, I was 24. You're 24 pitching dentists on how to work yeah, for you. Dude, okay. and the dentist I pitched, he was a total stud. Yeah. Um, if, you know, very well off, yeah. making half a million dollars a year. And I literally was like, dude, let us, let us try this. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to offer dental care first. And then when we tell people what they need, we're going to come back and bill them monthly over the year mm. rather than- tell them they need insurance and tell them to come in and then find out they need help. You know, one thing that if people don't know, dental insurance is total bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. Like you get 2,500 bucks and that's it. And if it goes above that, you have to pay for it. It's just total bullshit. Right. So, so I went into him and I said, dude, let me sell programs to people. Like Mm -hmm. this guy needs 10 teeth removed and fixed. His, his plan is 10 grand. I'm going to sit down with him. I'm going to have him sign a contract that says over 12 months, you're going to pay 900 bucks a month. (laughs) Yeah. And he was like, ah, I don't know, man, let's try it. Mm-hmm. And dude, and then I just went to work. Like I, I started bringing people in. I started mm-hmm. selling. I started signing contracts. Yeah. My brothers at the time were like, dude, this is crazy. They were with me. Yeah. Um, and they had seen what we had done in the gym. And my brother started throwing all these ideas in like, dude, we should do this. We should do this. And dude, it started to do really well. Mm-hmm. We brought in a ton of people. Yeah. And then in the interim of that, I went and I had my wife at the time. We had had our first kid. Um, she had breast augmentation. Of course. And while we were there, yeah, um, the the doctor was like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. I, I started a gym. That's I one of the this. hardest questions for any entrepreneur to answer. It really is, dude. So <laughs> I, I literally, I tell him, well, this is what I'm doing. And I told him about the dental office. And he's like, I think we could do that here. And I was like, let's do it, man. Yeah. So then we started a plastic surgery clinic. In <laughs> fact, the plastic surgery clinic was across the street from where we we first met. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just literally across the street. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, so then we did that, um, and and then I had started. Uh, I just started starting companies. Like mm-hmm. I started an online training company. We started an energy drink company, and and then by the time I think when, when I was twenty five is when we started filming the show. Yeah. Um, and, and I was helping, uh, Dave and Dave build 
diesel sellers at the mm-hmm. time, which is now diesel brothers. Um, and dude, I just started doing things that I wanted to do that I saw needs for. That was it. Yeah. Like same thing, dude. And this is crazy. The, the, the dental office is done and gone. It, it was sold out and it, you know, it was good. My brothers actually bought me out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. um, because I was so focused on filming, but right. the plastic surgery clinic is actually still going. And it's one of the only plastic surgery clinics in Utah that finances people to get a breast augmentation. Still? Yeah. Wow. So like, so you have all these young girls come in that don't have credit, that don't have credit cards, and you say, hey, it's $1,000 down, it's $3.99 a month, and we're gonna finance you out for, for 15 months. So really all I did was I took a normal business model and I started doing financing with mm. it, and we killed it. Look at that. Yeah, we did. Dude, it was crazy. We did like yeah. like 50 breast augmentations our first three months. It was crazy. Jeez. So in the interim of all of those <coughs> things, that's when I kind of fell in love with one, never being underneath somebody. Yeah, right. But two, like, dude, I feel like I can do anything. Yeah. And if I'm passionate enough about it and there's a need for it, mm-hmm. like I want to do it. Yeah. And then when I, I, I believe when I, I, I sold out of the plastic surgery clinic. I sold out of the dental office. Um, I started One Mission Nutrition, right. which is the the supplement company that that I own. Um, it's going to be huge. Yeah, um, and just started doing other things. So mm-hmm. now, like every year, I I start anywhere from two to four companies. Uh, that, that seems to be the rate. Yeah, the last four years, I've started two to four companies a year, and I just. I just do it because you build shit. Yeah, I just like to build shit. <laughs> and 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 dude, even if even if I don't ever take money from some of the companies, uh, it's kind of a chip on my shoulder now to have something that grows and gets built and starts as nothing. Mm-hmm. And I really, really enjoy this. I know this is kind of crazy for some people, especially if they're listening and they're wondering, like, how do you do this? I never, ever, ever to this day have spent more than seventy five hundred dollars to start a company. Never. Plastic surgery clinic, dental office, energy drink company, one mission nutrition. Wow. Um, dude, I mean, never, never. I mean, dude, we're starting a, we're starting a, uh, or we launched a hormone therapy yeah, you clinic get, right. called Mana. Dude, I think our, our initial investment was 3,200 bucks. What? That's what I'm saying. So like when people come and they're like, well, you need money to make money. That's yeah. not necessarily true. Now money does compound and make things go faster mm-hmm. and better and smoother. Right. But you don't need money to make mm-hmm. money. You really don't. You've mm-hmm. got to learn, you know, ins and outs of making deals and doing things. Dude, when I was a 24-year-old mm-hmm. kid and I walked into a dental office, you think mm-hmm. that dentist gave a shit about the the 25 grand I was going to offer? Right. No. Right. I came to him with an idea mm-hmm. and he luckily was like, God, this is a killer idea. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. So, so you know, in, in a big roundabout way, that's my story. Like, yeah. I... I really, really, in the very beginning, saw the the treatment of a nine to five to mm-hmm. my father. Yeah, it kicked him in the dick. Mm-hmm. He ended up dying, and then every one of my brothers kind of followed suit. They mm-hmm. saw the same thing I did. Yeah, none of my brothers have uh, have been to college. Mm-hmm. Um, every single one of them own a company. They own a really successful truck company in Bountiful called Hoskins Truck. Our right. last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all kill it. Yeah. And and every one of them are like me where it's like, dude, we just don't want to work for anybody because we watched it to You've our father. It. Yeah. You know? And so we kind of, I, I would say we kind of all have that same story. It's like, yeah. dude, there wasn't another choice. Entrepreneur mm-hmm. was the only choice. Yes. And I think sometimes, especially for people that are listening that are like, well, am I an entrepreneur or can I be an entrepreneur? Man, I think sometimes people are born to 
to be something. Mm -hmm. And all I know is I was born to never be able to work for somebody else. Right. You are unemployable. And so the (laughs) only other option is an entrepreneur. Yes. You know? Right. So dude, there's so much to unpack in there. Like there's so much, so many things, but if there's one, like, let me just say one thing on that before I ask you a load of questions, (laughs) right? Is what you just said about that security thing is the greatest lie ever told to anyone in the history of the world. I don't even mean entrepreneurs. The <clears throat> the pitch that comes from tyrants than any other in any country, the pitch that comes from monarchs, kings, queens, the pitch that comes from, you know, the government, the pitch that comes in, that's taught in society is security. Once you give your you know this to us, we will then give you back in return security. Once you work for us, once you have a job, I will give you security. Yeah, it is the biggest fallacy ever told because there is no fucking security Zero. but your own security. I don't care who it is, you cannot rely on anyone else but you. Yeah. There's only one thing in your control. You cannot control what happens in anyone else's life. You cannot control their decisions or whatever they want to be. There's only one thing you can control and that's fucking you. Yeah. And that's the only security there is. That's why we as human beings, when we say the word freedom, it sends a chill down our spine because it, it, it brings up this this entrepreneur, but even better, this this king inside of us says, fuck yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be free. I'm the master, I'm the one who's in charge. And it's the second you have someone else in charge of your life, is the second you lose all security. Yeah. There is no security. I don't care what promises are told to you, right? Dude, so like when you say like, if everyone just understood that, the only bet you can always count on is betting on yourself. No, dude, absolutely. Like the thing, and this is such a cliche because you hear it all the time, but you, you they, I always see uh, the picture of the lion in the cage and the, the lion in, in roaming, Yes, right? right. And the truth is, it's like, if you want security, what you're really doing is you're gonna give up freedoms, yes. right? Like that's that's what it's, it's going to happen. That's the great and, trade. And, and, and it's, it is a sense security, but it's a very construed type of security. And the truth is like, dude, if, if you want someone to take care of you and you don't want to have freedoms and you want to sit in the cage and be hand fed, told what to do, when to sleep, how mm-hmm. to do things. Yeah. Um, there is some kind of sense of security of that. And, and a, a lot of our parents mm-hmm. and that generation got told and sold that lie. Right. And that's what they're trying to teach and sell us. Right. And, and I, I think our this newer generation is like, no, 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 fuck that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I've always said this, and I think sometimes it actually has happened, but I would rather sink on my own boat mm. than I would sell on somebody else's boat being a captain. Love it. I mean, that's the truth, man. Yeah, right. Sink my ship yeah. by myself mm-hmm. before I let you captain mine. Yes. I mean, that's the truth. And, mm. and, 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 and watching what I watched when I was younger, as hard as it was, it taught me at the end of the day, no one's coming for you. No one gives a shit. They don't, dude. Mm. They and, and even if they do, most people can't do anything. Right. Like, dude, at the end of the day, if something happens to me or if something happens and I lose everything, mm-hmm. I love my family. I love my friends, but no one's coming up to pay my mortgage and no. make sure my kids eat and make sure mm-hmm. my wife is taken care of. Right. Now, they might help and support and love, but dude, uh, you are the captain of your own shit and yes. no one and absolutely no one is coming to save you. Yes. It's not happening. Dude, that, uh, I don't know if you know anything about my story, but like, when, like uh, me being bullied as a kid, 
when it, my entire life changed was the moment that my dad literally said those exact words was when he said, no one's fucking coming to save you. Yeah. The second you get that through your head is the second you realize you don't need anyone to save you. You can save you. You can be the hero of your own tale. You can fucking make it happen because you're a human being. There's a you know eternal engine inside of you that doesn't give up, that doesn't have a, you know, a stopping point. Just fucking go, yeah. right? Dude, like I'm getting chills. I, dude, you're, I love it, man. And like here, okay. Now let me let me dive into the, your story a little bit. Let, let's, let me ask you some questions here. First and foremost, you went from, you know, being an entrepreneur with like dental stuff with like fit, like, <clears throat> like uh, physical training, you know, and even like a lot of medical stuff. Right. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you became the muscle and diesel brothers, bro. That, that is complete, two completely different industries. Absolutely. How the hell did that happen? So in, in dude, from the very beginning, the only thing I really loved to do was build trucks. <laughs> like dude, even when I was 16, my yeah. first vehicle was a Bronco and I loved it, dude. Mm. I cut the exhaust off. I ripped the hood off. I repaid, I repainted it. I did all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. and I like to take vehicles and modify them. Like I just like to do that. Yeah, and you're good at it. <laughs> and, and 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 I did that all the way through. Yeah. And then I actually grew up with Diesel Dave. Um, and when I got back from my mission, of course we had reconnected. We had played rugby together and all these things. And him and Heavy D were doing um, the the company now known as Diesel Brothers. It was called Diesel Sellers. Mm -hmm. They were essentially building trucks and they were giving them away for free. And the way to enter their giveaways was to buy clothing from them. It's genius, were, it's genius business model. And dude, it's and honestly, and I don't just say this. Heavy D was the pioneer of that. Like mm. he is the pioneer of giveaway models. Mm. He was the first one that I ever saw for yeah. social media right. doing a giveaway model, dude. And it killed it. And so I connected with them really, really quickly. Yeah. I was like, you guys are building trucks. I'm building trucks. Right. I'm just doing it for fun. You guys mm. are doing it for your company. And Heavy D and I hit it off immediately you know mm -hmm. like we both like to build shit and our our styles are very different right. but we still like to build shit so literally we started growing this company diesel sellers and within about a year and a half we became so famous um diesel dave ended up on the jay leno show mm. and on the jay leno show the discovery channel saw us and they came out and they were like we want to do a show with you and of course we were like nah we don't want to do one we're right. killing it in our giveaway model yeah um heavy d was you know, he prides himself like he didn't just give in to them. Like everybody's like, oh, well, they came to me and wanted a reality show. So I jumped in. He didn't. He was like, yeah. no, 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 I don't want to do that. Yeah. After a few months of going back and forth, finally, we were like, yeah, come out. And mm -hmm. we just did some crazy shit with them. And they took it back and Discovery was like, we love these guys. Yeah. Let's do a show. Mm -hmm. And in the in, in the uh, mix of all of that, we were growing on social media. Right. And one of I our mean, this is this is the pinnacle of growth of any social media. Yes, because it, dude, it was in 2012. That's when Facebook kind of started to hit, right? And that was the beginning. MySpace mm. wasn't really a thing. It I mean, wasn't it was, like that. No, but, but Facebook became something huge, yes, right? Right. And so we started growing. We started doing these stupid skits on Facebook that made our pages grow, mm. which in turn made our giveaways bigger. And it, and when we did those skits. Uh, that's when Jay Leno saw, and then we we ended up doing the show. And immediately, I was helping Dave and Dave grow the company. Mm -hmm. So the first season, they were like, we don't really know what your job is here. We know you're helping grow the company, and we know you like to build stuff, right. so we're going to make you the parts guy. I was like, I don't give a shit, man. Mm -hmm. I just want to do the show, you know? Yeah, right. So the first two seasons, we did the show, and, you know, obviously, Diesel Dave named me the muscle. Um and I, we, we, it's we, fitting. We, yeah, we, we became, <laughs> you know, 
these characters. You have yeah. Diesel Dave, the muscle, and Heavy D. Yeah. Um, and and then we start shooting, and our first season was the number one premiered show ever on Discovery Channel, which is a big deal because Discovery Channel is the biggest network in the world. Well, I was about to say, like, in like, like we're talking like Steve Irwin shit, like on Discovery, yeah, right? Yeah, like, we were bigger okay. than everybody. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and the reason was is because we were so big already on on ah, social media right, right, right. that we announced we we commercialed ourselves, like yeah. we showed people who we were, and then mm. we were like, hey guys, we have a TV show coming yeah. out. People watch our TV show, and our mm. our season premiere killed it. Yeah, and Discovery fell in love with it, and ever since then, you know, obviously we filmed the show and have been filming the show but the truth is i don't have anything to do with diesel brothers like i'm not a part of that anymore i was only there for the first year or two to help grow the company and really? then ended up on the show and you've been on the show since yeah and i've been on the show since and discovery at, at, at like season three when i left diesel brothers like mm -hmm. done working there um the discovery channel was like well great but you're still on the show yeah. and you're still going to be the parts guy on the show mm. So then I went from like working there, growing the company, helping those guys to having nothing to do with it and only filming. Only filming and yeah. essentially that's my role now is like, mm. I just am there as the parts guy mm. to help build the trucks, you right. know? And yeah. if you watch the show, essentially the only two people that even build anything is Heavy D and myself. Mm. And and I'm the parts guy, quote unquote, on, mm. the, on the actual show. But then, you know, ever since then I've, I've been filming. It's funny because I actually thought, I think a lot of people also thought, hence the name Diesel Brothers, you guys were all brothers. Yeah, everybody <laughs> everybody thinks Naturally, that. Naturally, right? Dude, they ask us every time we would go anywhere, um, people were always like, God, so weird you guys are famous together as brothers. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're not really brothers. Yeah, We've been yeah. friends for a you really guys grew long up time. Together. We did. Diesel yeah. Dave and I were friends from like seventh grade. Oh, wow. Um, and I've known Heavy and D he now for- And he had a beard for, then too. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. No, and I've known Heavy D for now 10 years. And mm -hmm. we're, I mean, we legitimately are best friends, all yeah. of us. Like we hang out together, we do shit together. Mm -hmm. um, and now that we're kind of veering, Dave's kind of, Heavy D's kind of moving into YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, not something that I want to do, yeah. or at least not right now, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of tired of cameras. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure where the show is going to be, but we'll have our new season that should be airing, I think, in April. And I think it's going to kill it. Yeah. Like it always has. You know, right. I think it's going to do really, really well. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, obviously it's going to kill. I mean, it's been killing it for the past however many years. So. Yeah. This will be season, <laughs> I think this is season seven or eight. Well, I'm actually curious. Uh, like now, I'm going to, I want to get back to your story, but I'm, I'm actually curious about this with the huge changes coming to like, you know, vehicles like gas powered vehicles and diesel. And now also we're going to electric vehicles. Does that have an effect on the show at all? No, not, not really. really. Um, so because now you got the Ford lightning well, and no, yeah, like, what do you like, do with that? Like you know, new like, stuff. I think everything's always going to want to be modified, right? Yeah. It's human nature to take something and make it our own. That's yeah. why you can go into a house and in 10 years, the house has changed because yeah. they, they made it their own. Yeah. The vehicles are always going to be modified. How they're modified, when they're modified, at what rate, all mm. of those things may change, but yeah. everything's always going to want to be modified. I mean, dude, even take you. Like, you bought your wife an RS7. Did you just leave it? No, you brought it to right. me so we could get it wrapped yeah, and dude, do some other things. We're going to tune it. Right. Yeah, like, you you want to right. modify stuff, and yeah. that's what I love to do more mm. than, dude, if I was poor and I had no money, mm. I would still be trying to figure out how I can modify a vehicle. Yeah. 
Because that's what I like to do. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And I get to do it now for friends and, yeah. and clients and do it on a much bigger yeah. level yeah. and just see these crazy masterpieces. Oh, dude, talking about masterpieces, like, you did my truck. Yeah, Any of you have seen my truck, it is the most gorgeous truck I have ever it, fucking seen in my entire life. so great. And I, like, I, I told you this, like, I had a vision for what I was it was going to be. And there's very few things you can say, like, oh, this is what I envisioned. This is what I, like, wanted and always, you know, dream and then you show up and it's better than one you envision that's an exciting fucking day dude it was that and and dude i even now i still get messages every day when you're yeah. driving people messaging me like dude this truck is so because they see you you know out and about driving right. yeah, yeah. dude I, that's what I like to do it's now. <laughs> it's not even for myself anymore. Right. I really enjoy taking someone's vision and going, let me paint it. Yeah. And I'm going to show you what I think we can do. Yeah. And bringing it back and showing them. Dude, that's what I love. Yeah. Because it's building. Well, can you, let me ask you this then. And now I want to kind of pivot back to your story here because um, you're mentioning your first, your, you know, your uh, first wife, right? Uh -huh. And I, what people don't actually understand, I, well, if they follow you, they see one of the things on your thing is a divorce handbook. Yeah. I, I actually didn't even know that about you, right? Yeah. And so I'm actually curious, what is the divorce, like the divorce handbook? Why did you want to write that? That's very unique, yeah. right? That's that's also very open. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, so like where did that come from? So, if you don't mind me asking. Um I uh my first wife, wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. girl. Um, really great with my my two daughters right. that I have. Mm -hmm. Um I had an affair with mm -hmm. somebody and just destroyed my first marriage, yeah. you know, and and I really did a lot of damage both to myself and to her mm. and and obviously my children. I mean, that's just what happens. Right. Um, and the reality of what that was and what it did to me never really struck me until I had been single for a while and I had dated and I realized that the pain and frustration and all the shit I was doing, I was bringing into other things. Mm. And someone said to me, you should think about just writing your thoughts down on paper. Um, and then I would always make these posts that would just go crazy viral about how much I appreciated or how much I took care of my ex-wife, mm -hmm. um, which is so rare It is to it have is a rare. separation in, in something like this, yeah. you know, like marriage and to still be able to maintain a good relationship. That's both of you yeah. taking your egos aside and putting to, and like and just coming together like that's rare like that's that's difficult. See, and I didn't right? know that when I when I did what I did. I thought every. I mean, I knew that divorce was hard and everything, but I thought that people came back together. Mm. And when when people would see me, like I mean, I. I take really good financial care of my ex-wife mm -hmm. above and beyond whatever contract has ever been written. Right. Um, I pay for everything for my children. I just do. And, and I always will. And, yeah. and you know, there's times that we argue and fight and she says some things and, and you know, whatever, True. no matter what happens, I'm always going to financially take mm -hmm. care of her. It's mm -hmm. just what I'm going to do. But yeah. I didn't know that that was like special or rare. It is. Yeah. And I started to get a lot of, of ex-wives come mm -hmm. to me and be like, man, I wish my ex-husband was like that. I wish you could could give him advice i wish you could help him and so i i started to hear that and i started to see like man i don't know what i'm doing but i do know that i hold to some principles some core mm. principles and i know i made mistakes and i know i messed up and the divorce is my fault mm -hmm. and even saying that people would be like wow you you really have your shit together if all you do is say that it's your fault yeah something must be clicking that mm. doesn't click with a lot of people. Yeah. And I realize, like when people get divorced, what do they do? They blame, mm. they blame, they blame, they blame, right. They victim mentality and they blame. Well, it's the, it's their ego, right? Yeah. Because I mean, like, uh, if I, like it's, 
like it, it takes some serious courage to put it out there like that's yeah. the world because you know how mean and nasty yeah, people can be, right? Sure. You have to be real secure in who you are and honestly have your ego in check to be able to not only put it out there to help people like that, but to own up to that yeah. shit, right? Yeah. Sorry, keep going. I just want to kind of point that so, out. That's incredible. So I, <clears throat> I got to a place where... Um, what's it called when you uh i can't think of the word when you when you speak positive to yourself positive affirmation positive affirmation yeah. po positive affirmations so i always heard people talk about positive affirmations and i kind of was set different because i don't want positive affirmations i want real affirmations so i used to sit in front of a mirror and i would say you're your fucking problem you're the fucking problem you did this whether it's good or bad you did this and you need to accept it and i started to do that a lot until i i grasp it like in my soul was wow. like this is my fault whether yeah. i'm successful or bad or good or shitty mm. it's my fucking fault mm. so i started to do that and then i i started to call it my war with myself mm. Like I was always like, all right, it's time to That's go to war David with myself. Shit. Yeah, dude, I, I started to, to like, all right, it's time to go to war with myself. I got to mm -hmm. spend some time in the mirror mm -hmm. telling myself like, bro, you're your problem. Yeah. Stop fucking making excuses. So when I, when I decided like, dude, I want to write a book about divorce. I realized that I really didn't want to write a book about divorce. I wanted to do two things. I wanted to heal yeah. and I knew that writing it would help me heal. But mm -hmm. I also wanted to teach people to take extreme ownership and accountability you know which there's a yeah. book about that a great yeah. book jocko yeah. yeah um and and all i did was i labeled it the divorce handbook but the truth is is it's nothing but a self-help book mm. that helps you to realize that you're your fucking problem mm. and dude there's some shit in the book that i think really offends people like in one of the chapters i talk about that if you're getting cheated on it's your fucking fault and I know a lot of women hear that and they're yeah. like, what do you mean? My husband's cheating on me. It's my fault. Yeah. It is your fault. It is wow. because the reality is, is if you're not setting boundaries and you're not in yourself enough in your own insecurities to say, this is unacceptable. This shouldn't be happening. Mm. And you know what? If you don't want to fucking be with me, don't fucking be with me. Get out. Mm. You're your fucking problem. Mm. And that's kind of what the whole book is, is at the end of the day, like you have to go to war with yourself to get out of your own mind that anybody else is the fucking problem. Mm. You are your own problem. And every single day, if you can accept that everything you do is your choice and your problem, you can fucking fix anything anything mm. any relationship any business deal any goal any anything you want to do in your life you can do but you have to look at yourself and realize that it's fucking on you and stop blaming everybody else and that's what the whole book is about so i i did this book and i'm like i don't know i don't even know if i'm gonna sell one copy but mm -hmm. i want to write this and at mm -hmm. the end of every single chapter i don't know if you i'll get you a copy of the book at the end of every chapter it's not just like hey bro here's a chapter of some cool shit. i i have a challenge at, at the end of each chapter mm. and there's some hard fucking challenges in there one of the challenges is uh you got to write a letter to your ex Ooh. which is hard for a lot yeah, of people tough. you know a lot of people don't talk mm -hmm. um and and, and 
every chapter, I think there's like 10 or 11 chapters, every chapter has a challenge. Because mm. I'm like, listen, man, this book is not really about divorce. It's about my divorce, sure. but it's more about getting someone to become something better mm. by realizing that they're in their own fucking way, mm. you know? And in the book, same thing. If you cheated, it's your fault. If you got cheated on, it's your fault. If you had a shitty relationship, it's your fault. If they left you, it's your fault. Everything is your fault. And when you can accept that in the mirror and go to war with the fact that you don't want to accept it, then you can actually change. And that's what the entire book is literally about, is progressing and changing and becoming something better. Dude, dude, that, that fucking gave me chills, bro. Like, like fuck, bro. I mean, like, that is, that is the message that my generation, and I think any generation needs more than anything. Yeah. Because what, like the positive affirmation stuff, dude, no, sometimes you just need a fucking reality check. Yeah. Sometimes you just need some real hard shit, yeah. right? Honestly, I, a lot of times we do like that. I believe in positive affirmations, but I think we've taken it so far yeah. that we are so afraid of just getting real. The reality. Just get real with like, life's See, hard, okay, man. So, so li <clears throat> listen, I don't know how many people watch this or listen to your podcast, but for everybody that's listening, Millions. stop stop <laughs> what you're doing right now and just say to yourself out loud, I'm my own fucking problem. Mm. I am here because of myself. Mm. And then internalize that. It's really easy to say, but then internalize it. And I can guarantee you people listening to this right now are saying, well, no, uh, uh, no, no, no. It's Debbie's fault. It's, mm. it's Eric's fault. He did this to me, no matter what it is. And I'm telling you right now, that's mm. your mind that you got to go to war with. Mm. Like at the end of the day, you got to look yourself in the mirror and be real with yourself. Mm. And dude, I, don't get me wrong. I think positive affirmations are great. Mm. But man, I think real affirmations are way better. Mm. Like, like get real with yourself. Mm. And if you could get out of your body and look at yourself and tell yourself like, hey, hey, hey man, here's my advice. Mm -hmm. You're your fucking problem, man. Mm. You're fat because of what you eat. Mm -hmm. You are a piece of shit because you lay around all day long. You have shitty relationships because what you do, mm -hmm. not because of anybody else. And you are where you are because of the sum total of your decisions. Mm -hmm. And if you want to change, fucking grasp that, cling to that, and then take ownership and accountability to it and go, all right, man, that means I want to have a good relationship. I'm in charge, mm. period, end of story. Dude, do you, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think people realize how much like fire, like you're spitting right? Like people, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm serious, like people know you as like the diesel, you know, like yeah. the diesel guy, like the muscle, you know, like the trucks and everything. But like, I'm sitting here listening to you. Dude, I, I knew you were like successful and an entrepreneur. I knew you're fire. I've listened to you and you get me pumped. But I'm sitting here like, like, bro, why? I, I didn't hear more of this shit yeah. from you. Like, I know you don't put it out there all the time. Or like, yeah, we've you know, talked about coaching a little you, bit. But yeah, like, yeah, you know, so here's do people the thing. know this fire that's you know, in fucking so here's side the of you, thing. bro? So I, I only put out what I want people to think. Mm. And, and somebody told me a long time ago, it's better to be the dumb one in a room. Um, and in, in so many ways, and I would prefer that people think that I'm a big dumb, <laughs> I prefer it, dude. And when I say that, that's a lot of times what I put out. Like, dude, if you look at my social media, it looks like some guy that loves his kids that has a truck or whatever. 
that builds crazy shit. Whatever. Like fucking mansion um, on but the, the truth, yeah. But the truth <laughs> is, like, I started to do a podcast forever ago. In fact, when I relaunch, I'm gonna have you out. And in my podcast, the whole like, I thought about the name of my podcast forever. I was like, how the fuck am I gonna stand out? I've only done like six or seven episodes, but dude, even to this day, I mean, I don't think I've done a podcast for probably two or three years. I have people that are like, dude, I listen to your podcast and it changed my life. My podcast is called Becoming, mm. right? And the reason I did that is because you're always becoming something, whether it's good or bad. Mm. You're always becoming more of a piece of shit or you're becoming a better person, mm -hmm. right? And and my whole philosophy now, um, since I've been able to find some success, is I want to help people to realize like, dude, you're your own fucking problem. And if you want to become something greater, mm -hmm. you got to accept that you are the reason. Mm -hmm. and, and in that, there's so many things, right? But like at the end of the day, you're your fucking problem. You need to take accountability. And then you have the ability to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, we both were missionaries. Mm -hmm. I still cling to the principles of the church. You I know? agree. Yeah. And one of the principles that I cling to hard is that God is our father, mm -hmm. right? And if he's our father, what does that mean? I know as a father that I want my children to possess what I possess and even greater. Mm. And I know that they can be greater than me. Mm. If I just give them my education and teach them as much as I possibly can, that one day they can be greater than me. So if that's a real principle, which I believe it is, that means that I have the ability to do whatever I want to do in this life. And if mm. that is the case, it has to start with no one else but me. Mm. And if I can accept that, that I have the ability to do everything and it's my choice, I can really do anything that I want to do in this world, mm -hmm. anything. And if there isn't another message that I want people to get, it's that message. Mm -hmm. In fact, when we do your, uh, the AlphaCon, mm -hmm. my, my message is going to be that is going to be something very similar to yeah. teaching people like, bro, you have the fucking, you have the ability to do and be whatever you want, mm. but you have to accept it. And then when you accept it, you got to take the steps to do it. And that comes back to what this whole conversation has been about fucking accountable yeah. to you and your own shit. Okay. So now I've got dude, like duh, we could talk forever. Like there's so much shit to unpack here, bro. But like two things, one, what makes like, why do you want to help people so bad? Because that's how I met you. That's the light I've seen you in and just constantly finding ways to help people. And now I'm listening to you about writing your book and about, you know, you doing all this stuff. I'm like, like, dude, a lot of the shit that you've done in your life has been on the premise of, I want to help people. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like, look, you've had success in ways where like you don't have to be out there helping people. You could have success, be a TV star, you know, meet with celebrities and do all that stuff. And you don't have to give a shit about anybody else because you can have success without that. Right. Yeah. But then you're pivoting over here and you're constantly doing these things of, I want to help these dudes. Like I want to help these dudes out here. I want to help people and this, 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 like I want to help my family. Like you're always in that mindset and like, where does that come from? And then I actually want to touch a little bit about, about the church a little bit, if you're cool with that. But yeah, first, yeah. like, let's talk on that. So, um, and, and this is something that you don't really know until you make a, well, that's, I shouldn't say that. Was the, I didn't know until I made some good money. Mm -hmm. And that was that you can only buy yourself so much stuff, right? True. That's very true. And your wife would probably be in here to be like, I can't fucking buy him anything anymore because he buys whatever he wants. My wife says it all the time. She right. hates holidays and birthdays yeah. because they can't buy us anything. Right. 
I just go to Cabela's. Yeah, that's shit. <laughs> so the thing is, is, is you get to a point where you buy the cars you yeah. like, you buy the the house you want, you buy yeah. all the shit that you want, and then you get to that place where it's like I kind of bought everything. I mean, there's more shit to buy, but yeah. but then at some point in your life you give back, and you give to people who genuinely need it, mm. and. When you do that, there's a feeling that is like nothing else in this world. Um, I, I'm an emotional person. Very, um, yeah. But at the end of the day, there's nothing that makes me feel better about the human being that I am when I'm giving back to people mm-hmm. in every, in any capacity, right? Like homeless people or people who need education or people who just need my mentoring or people mm-hmm. who need my money or my time yeah. or my, my love, my, you know, whatever. I really enjoy the feeling that comes from giving back to people. And at the end of the day, man, money can fucking buy everything. Except money cannot buy you a relationship that is worthy of something so much greater. Mm. And, and, and something that I've preached to you, like as we've become close is I'm telling you right now, the only thing that's important to me now is, is, is loyalty and trust and, and creating a relationship that is so much higher and better than anything in this world. And that comes from, knowing that I'm loyal to you, knowing that I would do anything for you, and knowing that if you ever needed anything, that you could call on me and vice versa, right? And no amount of money can buy that. It can't. I know. Like, there's been times where you've given people money and you expect at some point when you call them back to need something that they'll be there, and they're not. Mm. And, and, And at the end of the day, the only way to build is to entrust in people that you'll do it for them and that you want it from them, right? And 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 now in my life, like my two most important things is giving back to people and then creating relationships that are so much fucking higher mm-hmm. than than you're going to find in 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 society, you know? Like at the end of the day, I want to have relationships with people that is so high and highly sought after from others that that's where I find myself worth my value, all of my energy. And and you'll see, like tonight, I told you I'm inviting you over to, mm-hmm. to mix kava. Um, I have deep roots in the Polynesian culture, right, and, I, yeah, and I have yeah. found a lot of Polynesians have that, what, what I just said. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll see tonight when you come, like, dude, I don't invite people over to my house to fucking party Mm -hmm. like we're gonna sit in a circle and we're gonna drink kava we're gonna sing and we're gonna do nothing but laugh it's not a fucking party where you get drunk it's not a a who's who it's not it's nothing but a circle of love and trust and loyalty in friends who i now consider family and i used to say this all the time i don't have fucking friends i have acquaintances and i have family that's it there's nothing in between mm-hmm. and people are like, well does that mean you don't have any friends no because if you become a real friend you just automatically become my family mm-hmm. and so so to circle back to that question like dude giving back 
gives me a feeling that I can't find anywhere else. And it also allows me to get into the relationships that I seek, which is, uh, I don't even know what the word is, a higher vibe of a relationship. Higher energy, higher, higher frequen- energy, higher, higher frequency. frequency. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. And you can't find that anywhere, man. You just fucking can't. And, and maybe it all stems back to hearing myself say over and over that no one's coming to fucking help you, that maybe that's what I want. Maybe I want someone to come and help me. If something gets to the point where, and now I can't even say that without actually questioning it because I don't believe that anymore. Now in the relationships that I put myself in. Now normally, and the the general public, I think that's true. But uh, one of my very best friends, Rob Bailey. Yeah. Dude, the dude has just had a crazy life and you should have him on the podcast because you'll just love him. I'd love to. But- you know, he used to say this all the time. He's an artist. Uh, he does songs. And his shit is, if you've ever it's never hard. listened to his songs. Like, that dude, gym out there yes, is, is blasting with Rob. He's my best friend, and I still listen <laughs> yeah. to his shit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. in his, his music, he always talks about no one's coming to fucking save you. Yeah. And I'll guarantee you, if I sent him a text right now and said, do you still believe that? Mm. He would say, generally, Yes. But I know that if if I needed you, Keaton, you would fucking be there to save me from anything. Yeah, and that's the truth. Well, so that that message right there, no one's coming to save you. That's the mentality of a leader. Yeah, that has to be the mentality of a leader. Is it true for the leader? Yes, because the at the end of the day. If you're a leader, if you're someone called to do something, which I believe everyone can do something great in this world. I believe everyone can achieve something great in this lifetime. No one was put on this fucking earth, this giant rock spinning around a ball of gassy sun, right? Or whatever, to do average shit, right? Everyone was put on here to do something, but it's the leader who has to maintain that mentality. That way you remember, like you're saying, no one, I cannot rely on anyone else to get this done but me. Yes, there will be people who can who can fight for me and can be there next to me, but at the end of the day, I cannot rely on that because then I'm delegating every responsibility off my shoulders. I'm called to do that. Yeah. When my when my when I was a kid, right? My nickname being the, the bull, right? My nickname used to be the fat bull. Right? I was bullied heavily as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the day my dad told me literally that exact word, though that exact phrase of no one is coming to save you. And that, because the, that day when that was happening, what always filled my head as a kid was, why won't any of you help me? I constantly was asking that. I was getting beat up. I was having, you know, like I was puking. I was so scared of what was going to happen. I just wanted them to just fucking leave me alone. Yeah. That's all I fucking wanted, right? Mm-hmm. And I still feel it to this day that 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 raw feeling of I don't want to go through this anymore. Someone please help me. Yeah. Cuz you know what? We went talk to the principal, talk to the teachers, talk to the parents, you know, like 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 anything. But at the end of the day, it still kept happening. And I kept asking myself over and over cuz I just looked at all these kids watching and I just asked, "Why won't why won't any of you help me?" Yeah. And it wasn't until my dad got that out of my head, said none of them will help you, but that's okay because you don't need them. You're going to have to be the Superman of your own tale. You're going to have to fucking make this happen on your own. And he literally kicked me out of the house, forced me out. Like he, he said, you have to go out there and beat that kid up and you, or one of those kids find yeah. one and you can't come home until it's done. And it wasn't until after that moment that I realized 
that with maintaining that mindset of no one's coming to save you is the mentality of a leader because you have to have that mindset in order to make a difference. You have to. Right? In order to be the one who will go and save them. If you aren't going to do that, you're a hypocrite. Yeah. You're a fucking hypocrite if you don't go out there and help people. And like, as a kid, I used to ask myself that. And like, I donate heavily to Operation Longo Railroad. I think of the fact of how many people out there right here, right now, as we're sitting here, are asking that same question to God or to themselves in the mirror. They're saying, is there anyone out there who can fucking help me? Yeah. Because they feel lost. They feel betrayed. I think of these kids who are literally being sold into sex slavery. I know for a fact they're in the deepest of darkest of hells we could imagine. And they're asking themselves right now, why won't anyone help me? Yeah. And that the idea that someone else is feeling that on my watch, an entrepreneur, like the reason why you're an entrepreneur, my definition of entrepreneur is they see a problem and they take it personal. Yeah. And so they're gonna do something about it. They're not gonna sit back and wait for somebody else and tweets and thoughts and prayers. They're gonna fucking make it happen yeah. because I know I can make it happen. I believe in myself that I can do that. And so naturally, if I can, I must. It's now become my duty to make that difference, yeah. to step in no matter how, like what they do with the help after that, I have, you know, it's off my conscience that I will make that happen. Yeah. Dude, like I fucking listen to you. I'm just, I like, I'm just like, it's yeah, like, but th I think that also answers the question for yourself, why you help. Mm. Because you want to be that person to those people. Like, dude, I, I would imagine, because I've been there too, um, I wasn't bullied, dude. I was a big goofball, and I used to fight people, but I was never a bully. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I I have been in positions in my life where I'm like, man, is no one going to fucking help me? Yeah. And those positions were good because mm -hmm. it. I, I was then asking myself, like, no, no one is. But... I want to be that person to so many people. Right. And that's one of the reasons I create the relationships that mm -hmm. I do because I don't want my friends to ever ask that question and not think of me first. And also why I help so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, dude, I can imagine, you know, we did this last $1,000 tip thing and it was with my football coach. You right, know, like yeah. how freaking great was that? Awesome. And the dude, he struggled. He's always struggled. We mm -hmm. always remember like growing up as little kids, like he rolled up in his 1970s Suburban, ne never had a ton of money. And and I gotta think like how many times did he ask like is no one gonna fucking help me and dude at the end of the day like we make good money but fifteen sixteen grand makes a fucking difference huge difference. and we 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 made sick we gave him sixteen thousand dollars in dude, one night in one <laughs> night like you gotta believe that at one point he left there and was like fuck somebody showed up and helped me mm -hmm. somebody did. Yeah. And dude, how often could I be that person? And maybe that's why I help so much. I mean, mm -hmm. that and, and the selfish idea of the feeling that I get. Because right. I love it, dude. I yeah. fucking love it. And I don't love it because it makes me greater or better or to tell people about it. I love it because of the way it makes me feel inside, yeah. which is what I'm chasing. And that's why yeah. I do it so much. Right. I don't think you get that feeling so heavily had you not also experienced that pain yourself. Mm -hmm. It's that empathy that you now have for someone. When you see them going through pain, you are reminded of your own pain that you had to go through. And any human being will want to immediately help that person out of that so they won't have to experience what you went through. It's empathy. Yeah. And empathy is a powerful thing. It can be taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people take advantage of that empathy, but either way, it's a powerful thing to drive a leader to want to be somebody, to become that dude who can actually make that difference. Yeah. 
Dude, I fuck. So let me okay. That's one of my favorite topics in the world, by the way. Yeah. Like that is what I wake up every day thinking of. That is like like I'm constantly reminded of it because there's so much evil in this world, right? Yeah. But I kind of if if you're cool with this, I want to pivot to ask you about the church. Yeah. We're both here, right? Two dudes, two entrepreneurs, you know, full fucking sleeves basically. Right? <laughs> All the way down the body. Yeah. <laughs> so is here's what's super interesting about the church. We're from Utah, both serve missions, right? I actually love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I love the principles of the church. By the way, everyone who's listening doesn't know what we're talking about. We're talking about, as someone would say, the Mormon church or the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. I have always loved it. As a matter of fact, I still love and read the Book of Mormon every day. The Bible, right? I love the principles taught in the church, right? But what I've always hated was the culture of the church. Yeah. The same kids who were bullying me were also the kids at church yeah. bearing their testimony about how their family models kindness. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? And I hated going to church because at church I experienced bullying my whole life. Yeah. I literally hated church, but I love the principles because the principles are what made my dad who he is. Yeah, yeah. The principles are what saved my dad's life. And my dad being my hero has now built this life for me. And I look at the church as it is to me the truth, Absolutely. right? But I'm I'm curious about you know your thoughts on this because you obviously you know like some people look immediately at the sleeve right this tattoo which like is almost a signal in Utah of like yeah. you know not a good Mormon or you know ex Mormon yeah, or something yeah. like Jack that Mormon. Jack Mormon right whatever you call it right. So I'm curious on your thoughts. I've actually never talked to you really about this. So yeah, we haven't talked about it. Um, man, I, my thoughts are really simple. Um, I through my experience have gained knowledge, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and there's things that I believe to be true. And the truth of all of it is kind of summed up really, really simple. And that's the, the first thing I told you about God being our father, right? right? Um, and the, the truth for me is that the church of Jesus Christ, the Mormons, what is taught, the doctrine that is mm -hmm. taught, not the culture, um, is the absolute closest thing to what I believe. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, most people are like, why the church teaches this. So let me see if I believe it in mm -hmm. rather, uh, it's, it's, it's the other way around. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I believe. Yeah. I believe that God is our father. I believe we're his children. I believe he loves the mm -hmm. shit out of us, yes. which is crazy to even say in a sentence, like, right. you know, and, and the reality of just that is mm. so huge that mm. people have no idea. And at the end of the day, if that's the truth, which I believe it is, everything becomes so much more simple. Mm. And man, I, I got to tell you, I don't like a lot of people in the church because I think they're, they're self-righteous. I think they're stupid. Mm -hmm. And that's me judging. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. But at the end of the day, the principles that are taught that God is our father, that mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, our brother, that we are children of God yeah. and that he loves us. Mm -hmm. That is the only principle that I cling to with every ounce of my being mm -hmm. that God loves us. Mm -hmm. If that's the truth as a father, mm -hmm. everything becomes so much more clear. And that's, I want my children to be happy. Mm -hmm. I want to protect them, but I want them to learn. Mm -hmm. So I have to allow them to learn. Yes. And you only learn through experience. Yeah. I don't want to do this alone. Mm -hmm. I want people to be with me. I want my family to be with me. Um, and I want them to learn on their own pace and at their own rate. And I want them to learn without me telling them. Mm -hmm. I want them to gain experience. Yeah. 
I think that if I love them, I would send them things and people to guide them, mm-hmm. right? And at the end of the day, like I said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only one that works with what I believe. Mm-hmm. And the reality to that statement is much bigger than most people realize. I was a student of religion. Mm-hmm. When I was on my mission, and I tell you I memorized word for word the mm-hmm. Bible, I did. Yeah. I also read the Quran four times dude i went to i went to a mosque yeah um in seattle it's a melting pot Mm -hmm. and we actually shared a parking lot with a mosque at our stake center Mm. so they would let us go in and enjoy the mosque with the muslims dude i read the the torah i've i've i have spent countless hours and time with anti-mormons with atheists with agnostics Mm -hmm. with with christians with non-denominant with everybody yep and I've, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Jehovah's Witnesses. In fact, I have yeah. a really good friend that's a Jehovah's Witness. But right. at the end of the day, I have studied. Mm-hmm. I have been studious in religion. Yeah. And at the end of that, there's only one church mm-hmm. that follows what I believe in my heart. Mm-hmm. And that's that God is our father, that mm-hmm. he loves us. Um, there is a lot of culture that's mixed in with the church today. Yes, right. And I see it mm-hmm. as it is. Yeah. I see it and I I don't care. Yeah. I think that Joseph Smith did some pretty fucked up shit. I agree. I think Joseph Smith was a very, mm-hmm. very mistake filled person. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people, especially anti-Mormons, cling to the fact that he was kind of a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I even members of the church like that would hear me say, I was like, Oh, how could you? Right. The, listen, man, we're mm-hmm. talking about the 18th century, mm-hmm. and we're talking about a kid that lived on a farm. Yeah. Okay. He was. Yeah. He made some crazy, crazy decisions. He mm-hmm. did some crazy shit. But at the end of the day, what he produced mm-hmm. is what I believe. Mm-hmm. At the that's just what it is. Right. You want to tell me he was a polygamist? You want to tell me he did crazy shit? He told lies. Guess what? You do that. Mm. The people listening to this right now that make the huge judgment statement, Joseph Mm. Smith was this. Well, so are you. (laughs) And you don't think that God would come to you and ask you to do something because you're a piece of shit? Yeah. Well, guess what? He wouldn't be talking to any of us. We all are pieces of shit. (laughs) So stop telling me what you believe about the person that he was Mm -hmm. and start telling me that you believe that Mm -hmm. God loves you enough Mm -hmm. as his child in your own mistakes to ask you to do things. Yes. And then tell me that you're perfect because yes. you're not. Yes. And that's how that's what I believe, man. At the well, end of the day, like yeah. Joseph Smith was what he was. I don't worship him. I'm thankful that mm-hmm. he did some cool stuff. I think when we all get back there, we're going to be like, dude, that was crazy. I can't believe he called you to be a prophet. You did some crazy <laughs> shit. And dude, at the end of the day, like if God shows up. He'll probably up, look at you and be like, so did you. Yeah, dude, he will. <laughs> and dude, if, 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 if God came to mm-hmm. me tomorrow and said, hey, man, I need you to take care of these people. Mm-hmm. What a spit in my face would it be that those people that I took care of came back and said, wait, you had an affair on your wife. You're going to mm. tell me God told you to do that? Mm. You, you've done some crazy shit. You've done some drugs. You've gotten drunk. You've been with women. You've done all kinds of shit. Yeah. And God told you to do those things? No, he didn't tell you to come take care of me. He didn't tell you to do those things. Mm-hmm. You know what? At the end of the day, you cannot stand here and tell me you disagree with the church if you believe the the bible and this is why i say that yes 
Amen. This is why I say that. Mm -hmm. Not because the Bible it does isn't filled with a ton of crazy shit. But dude, if you believe that Saul, who was dude, a murderer, I, I was literally right? writing I mean, to dude, say that. Like, <laughs> if you think that Saul, who murdered people, became a prophet, <laughs> and then you're not okay with what Joseph Smith did, yeah. listen, man. I know why you're mad. You're mad because yeah. you grew up in a church that that put him on a pedestal. Yeah. Shame on the church. Shame on the people. Right. Joseph Smith was the normal person. He did mm -hmm. a lot of fucked up shit. Right. But. So did Saul, and Saul was much worse. Saul was a mass murderer. And he did. Of Christians. He killed people. And he was still called of God. And if you think- And that, if you read the Bible and like his stuff. Yeah, dude, if you think back in the time, dude, how crazy would it have been yeah. if you watched this guy named Saul come into your house, kill everybody you know, and then like three weeks later, he changes his name and he's- He's an apostle of God? No, 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 no. But if you can accept that, then yeah. you can't sit here and say right. that Joseph Smith in all his crazy bullshit wasn't called of God. Yeah. Because at no point did God say, I called you and you were qualified. Yep. And dude, and, and, and the truth too, like there's a lot of times that I kneel before God that he asks me to do things mm. that are good. Mm. And how unfair it is when I go do those things mm that those people judge me for the things that I've done in my past. Mm -hmm. So how do I feel about the church? I believe that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is in my own belief, the only thing that, that I can reconcile. Mm. I don't really worship or care about what Joseph Smith did, but I do know that the book that he brought forth has changed my life, has yes. taught me a ton mm -hmm. of shit is really good. Um, I believe that if you can believe the Bible, it's pretty easy to believe the Book of Mormon. True. Um, I spent the last six months of my mission, I was an assistant, and I spent um, on the University of Washington campus in a religions class. Mm. And they would have me in every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. and, and the last month of my mission, we met in, in a stage of about 250 students. On stage, there was four of us, no, five of us, four plus me, of an atheist, a Jewish uh, rabbi, a Muslim, um, and then a non-denominational Christian, I think, and there was a, a Southern Baptist. And we all met and we had discussions. Mm -hmm. And man, at the end of the day, no matter what faith you are, you're accepting that there's somebody up there yeah. that you can't hear, you can't see, you have no real connection to mm -hmm. in and of that that's craziness yeah so so if you can accept that yeah. so so obviously this whole conversation is different if you're atheist if you're just like dude it's all crazy and yeah. then okay i can accept that one right. i can accept it yeah. but man you can't be half in right. and then turn around and be like oh joseph smith and you're the god you believe is crazy mm -hmm. and oh it's like well, Hold on, man. Yeah. I can pull up any religion at any point and be like, dude, this is crazy that you believe this. Yeah. <laughs> or I could step back and go, right. nah, I'm going to yeah. bypass all of that, man. All I really care about is who are you as a person? Yeah. What do you do? And the religion that you follow, what does it bring forth in you? Yeah. And to me, the church has brought forth so much good in me mm -hmm. and has helped me out of so much wickedness yeah. i mean because dude i'm i'm a bad dude <laughs> i don't say that lightly mm -hmm. i did a lot of bad shit yeah. i've done a lot of bad things and and I, you know i'm still there's still dark parts of me that to get better but man i i gotta say that the church and my mission mm -hmm. and 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 what that teaches that god is our father and man i'll tell you that's what i cling to if yeah. he really loves me if he really really loves me then he just wants me to be happy
I'm not going to accept all the other craziness that's being taught. I'm just not. And I never will. Not till I stand before him. But I do know when I stand before him, he's going to say, hey, man, that was crazy, right? I love you. Mm. I really do love you. And I'm really proud of you. And I want you to feel my love. Mm. And we're going to just keep going. We're just going to keep progressing. Mm. And I think that's the only conversation that we're going to have when we go. Dude. I really do. <laughs> you said like all these things you kept saying i was literally holding my head like oh i went i'm gonna say this once you and then you say it, i'm like I'm like holy shit i'm like Saul tarsus and the whole thing because like the, I, dude i agree yeah what, what like i like i was in my my mission was in texas yeah. T- texas san antonio all you t sammers if you listen to me anymore <laughs> like mm. shout out right but like what i met in texas was a lot of good people who yeah. were not mormon yeah and i grew up in utah and I started meeting a lot of amazing people who were not Mormon. And I did, I read in the Quran. I also obviously studied the Book of Mormon like crazy. Yeah. My mission president was a incredible man who just like dove into the studies of the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And you know what I learned? I learned there's a lot of scripture out there. There's the Apocrypha, yeah. right? Yeah. The Apocrypha has a lot of scripture that for some reason we just don't incorporate because the of- the Nicene Creed, they were like, nah, we don't need it. The Nicene, exactly. Let's just put it all together. Yeah, exactly. But then there's still scripture out there that we haven't found or don't exactly incorporate. Yeah. There's a lot of incredible scripture out there that isn't just in this one little book yeah. that King James wrapped up and now we've got, like, you know, yeah. through production and, and books and you just go into the history of it, right? And I look at it, I'm like, well, the Book of Mormon is for sure one of them. Yeah. The Bible's one of them, but guess what? There's things in Book more and people are like well what about this i go well guess what you ever read songs of solomon you really think that that's literally uh, his songs about his concubines yeah right you want to talk about polygamy it's crazy what about solomon what about king yeah. dave you know like all There's these all like kinds of some of prophets had concubines some of them didn't right yeah. saul of tarsus was literally a mass murderer yeah called of god to now be a prophet and we preach his stuff in the bible because it's scripture from god right yeah. and i look at brigham young i look at joseph smith i look at what they produce some incredible teachings also looked at i'm like I don't know about that one. That was a crazy one. Like, damn, dude. I mean, Hugh Brigham Young was a crazy dude. He was a and crazy he was motherfucker. Oh, yeah. He was hard, dude. Very bad. I mean, yeah. and you had to yeah. be. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, like, yeah. like did he bring forth good stuff? I believe he did. As did he tr- also yeah. bring forth some crazy shit? I think he Absolutely. did. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, like, mm-hmm. nobody at any point ever yeah. said that God was going to call someone that was going to walk the earth perfect. Right. It'd be cool if we had, if God could call the perfect ones. Yeah. I'd love to see that. That'd be great. <laughs> but you know what, dude? I, I actually talked with somebody the other day about this. Why do you think when Christ came, mm. he spent time with sinners? Mm. Or self-proclaimed sinners. Why did he? What, yeah, why did he sit down with the Pharisees did, yeah, or Sadducees? Why because did, at the end of the day, right. people that go through shit mm-hmm. know more. Yes, people who have been through shit are better people. Yeah, like I don't want people surrounded in my life that had life easy. Right. I don't. I, I like people who were addicted to drugs and overcame it. I like people who have a bad past yeah. and figured out how to get better. Yeah. I like people that were progressing then and they're progressing now. Mm-hmm. And I sure as hell don't like people who believe that they're better or greater than someone else. Yes. And I think that Christ, when he comes again, he's not going to be with the bishops and the stake presidents, and he's not going to be wandering around the church. He's probably going to be with people like you and I that accept that we're fucking idiots, that we did stupid shit, we're still going to do stupid shit, and we believe very, very wholeheartedly in the stuff that he preached. Mm-hmm. And, dude, uh, listen... I'm a tough guy and I won't, uh, I will never give in to somebody, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you this. When Christ comes again, I'll be the first one on my hands and knees, man. I'll be the first one to accept it and go, ah, 
I uh, listen. I was pretty bad. Mm. I love you. I always loved you. I stayed true to those things, but man, I was a I was a bad dude, you know. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, at that point, the the truth of He's our Father, and He sent Jesus Christ, and He loves us, and He looks at us, and He says, "I love you too," mm-hmm. and I wanted you to learn. And the things that you learned is what I needed you to learn, so you could progress to become more happy and mm-hmm. like me, which, which is what it is. Dude, we dropped some fire on this episode. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> if there, all right, brother. If there's one thing you'd want to leave this audience with, what would it be? Um, you know what? It's actually what I'm going to talk about at AlphaCon. Mm. Um, and and it's a very simple principle. Uh, and I, I cling to this hard. If it scares you, if it puts fear in you, you need to lean into it. Um, I have a, a saying now because I've spoke at a few expos and I, I don't know why I always say it, but I, I, <laughs> I always co- I coin the phrase fuck fear and get to work. Mm. Um, and if there's anything, any one message that I would ever want to leave with somebody that I don't know that, that is aspiring to become something great, it's, it's fuck fear and get to work. And whether you want to be in a good relationship, whether you want to be successful, whether you want to make money, whether you, anything, the things that are scaring you, that are bringing fear, that are pushing fear into you, you need to lean into them. And the more you lean into the fear, the more success you will find. So when you're comfortable, you're in the wrong. When you're fearing and you're nervous and it's scaring you, you're going down the right path. And that's what I would leave with anyone that I had met off the street. Like, dude, <laughs> chase the fear. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. And then go to work. <sighs> Fuck yeah, bro. Jeez. Well, I can't tell you how grateful I am that obviously you're on, but just more so, you already know, I'm grateful for you as a friend, bro. I've said that to you multiple times and I mean it with all my heart. Like I'm grateful for who you are as, you know, just a good dude. You know, I feel the same way, same thing, you know, and we've had these conversations and we don't need to have them again, but you know, same thing, dude. I'm very appreciative of our friendship and, uh, and, and for those people that are listening, like, man, if you want to get better in your life, fucking find good people. Amen. Find them. Amen. Love it. Every one of you, go follow this dude. Because obviously you just, you know, what we just fucking listened to with like the gold. But, you know, go follow this dude. He's doing incredible things, not only to help people in his businesses. We didn't even dive into what you're doing with One Mission Nutrition, with all like the new testosterone stuff that you got coming out. Like, that's, it's, there's some revolutionary stuff we didn't even yeah, get a yeah. touch on, no, right? man, it's good. So, I, I like to have real deep conversations. Yeah. I don't, don't get me wrong. I want to plug my businesses, but I don't give a shit about that. You no, know, don't worry. You do a podcast, I want, yeah. people to, I want people to hear shit, yeah. you know? I agree. I agree. We'll link it all either way. For sure. <laughs> It'll all be linked in the bio. If you don't know who this guy is, you already now know. Go follow him, the.muscle, the muscle on Instagram. If you see a guy with millions of followers and he's fucking huge, that's him. <laughs> Dude, love you, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. Love you, brother. Truly. Thank you, bro.